Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the fast and easy cloud accounting solution helping millions of small business owners save time invoicing and get paid faster. You can try FreshBooks right now for free. Just go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section for a free trial. week on twip someone crash lands a dji quadcopter on president obama's front lawn also sports illustrated lays off its remaining staff photographers it's monday january 26 2015 and this is twip And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to discuss some of the interesting things happening in the world of photography are Mr. Silarina, Ms. Cheryl Machat. Cheryl, how do you how do you pronounce your middle name? Machat. Machat Dorskind, yes. Joseph Lenashki, and Julio Shorio. You guys with these these like European non-Fred Johnson names are killing me here. <laughs> Isn't Van so, European? Yeah, pan-European names. You know, <laughs> welcome to the show, all of you guys. This is a huge a huge twip that we're doing today for a reason because I wanted to have varying opinions on the topics that we're going to be talking about. We're going to dive right into those in just a second, but quickly I want to take couple seconds just to go through each one of you guys and sort of talk about what you've been up to lately before we dive into the news here. Cheryl, I'm going to let you go first. You haven't been on TWIP in a long time. Last time I saw you was, was in New York, I think, at, at one of the shows there. What's up? Yeah, we were at the Photo Expo. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm doing great. I'm doing a lot of teaching right now. I teach, um, I have a mentoring platform. It's called Fame, and I teach photographers how to find their voice, what to do with all those thousands of pictures they have. Um, we work on portfolio development and, and um, assignments and it's it's really meaningful work. And um, I teach at college. We just, I just started in the new semester last week and that's a five-hour class. I teach digital photo and Photoshop. So that keeps me on my toes and I'm Working on my publishing still. I'm gonna put my ebook on iBooks, so um, oh, cool. I'm busy doing lots of things. That's cool. You're you're like the rest of us. I mean, it's the the age of the, you know, the creative solopreneur, as I call us. You know, that we're doing all these multiple things, and but there's some they somehow all dovetail into photography. So, welcome welcome back to the show. It's good to have you on again. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Also up is Mr. Julio Shorio standing there looking like he's, you know, running from the law for some reason. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always running from the law. <laughs> What's going on, Julio? What's happening in your world? Oh, man, so much good stuff. Um, as you can see, I'm redoing my office so I could shoot uh, a lot of episodes for the new show on TWIP called Emerge. We're talking about emerging technologies that affect the world of photography like UAVs and smartphones and all sorts of stuff. Um, yep. Doing some ad shooting throughout the holiday season, about to head to Imaging USA, then 
Joseph and I are taking a tour from LA up to Seattle called the Linux Shoot Anything Tour. That's and cool. that is going to be awesome. That's cool. So that tour, so the Lumix Shoot Anything Tour, Lumix, I'm assuming that you're going to be using mirrorless cameras, right? Yeah, of course. Lumix cameras. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> we're, 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 yeah, so <laughs> we're going um, from L.A. up to Seattle to different uh, meetup groups and um, also, of course, dealers. And we're going to talk about how we shoot various types of uh, photo subjects with mirrorless cameras from 4K photo, landscapes, HDR, all sorts of cool stuff. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. And well, welcome back, man. It's always good to have you on. Thanks. And we will have drones following us all the way, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. As long as they don't crash, they crash into you. Yeah. And just one, quick, one more quick thing on you, Julio. We are by the time folks hear this web and this this episode, the webinar that you're doing Wednesday will be available online, but they won't mm -hmm. be able to watch it live. Tell us a little bit about that webinar and what you're doing. So the webinar is called Intro to 4K for Photographers, and we are talking about how photographers can utilize 4K video as a photographer, not as a filmmaker. So as photographers, we like to, you know, we're used to shooting one frame and making that tell a story. Now I'm going to show people how to take 30 frames at 8.5 megapixels per frame and utilize that for prints, for animated portraits, um, for Instagram videos, all sorts of stuff, how to do aerials with 4K footage. A lot of cool stuff. It's going to be a very straightforward, um, creative-based approach on 4K technology. And it's going to be the real-world base, not like, you know, okay, first thing you got to do is get a second mortgage on your house, <laughs> then sleep on a couch for a year. You know? <laughs> it's not that kind of stuff. It's like, how, what, do you, what can you do now to get into 4K that's fun and accessible? Love it. Love it. Can't wait for that. That's going to be, we're doing that, uh, well, we will have done that Wednesday the 28th. By the time folks hear this, it will be the 31st or something. It will be past the webinar date. So, cool. Well, mm -hmm. let me congratulate you on doing a great webinar, which you have Thank not you. done yet. <laughs> Thank you. We are from the future. We are from the future. <laughs> also on the show, my good friend, Mr. Joseph Lenaski. Joseph, thanks for joining us. What's going on, man? Absolutely. Well, pretty much what G said. You know, we're going to be doing that road show coming up here. Um, we leave in a couple weeks, and that has been all-consuming getting ready for that. So, yeah, check it out, LumixLounge.com. There's a page on there that talks all about the tour, links to all the sign-ups. We're going to be hitting stores in L.A., Santa Barbara, uh, Los Gat or no, uh, Palo Alto, and then up in Portland and Seattle, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Very cool. Awesome. Well, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, last but not least, a really good friend of mine, Mr. Sill Arena, bringing the voice of reason to the show. <laughs> See, Sill, what's going on, man? What's happening? Uh, I'm just happy to be on the screen because, uh, you know, before the show, it was just going to be a voice until you guys talked me into how to... <laughs> get the camera thing need to work disembodied you know? voice of still arena <laughs> yeah. so i've i've been great you know it's been a couple months since i've been on um still working on the second edition of the speedlighters handbook which Wait, is you're not done with that yet i am not done man i am not done i got to tell you this is we're kind of at that last round you know where the serpent and me are in the pit yeah. And no, you know, one of us is going to leave the pit, and the other one's not, and we're not going to finish until that happens. Thunderdome. Uh, not going to stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like cage fighting for book writers right now. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, so I, I hope to be done by the end of February. Um, 
part of it is just juggling too many too many things. And uh, you know, I got to say, I, I got strangers to that man. Trust me. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Um, and I just want to say, hey, to all my friends in the Northeast, I got back from Boston four days ago, uh, where I spent two weeks uh, starting my Master of Fine Arts degree. And I got to tell you, I am so lucky to be out of yeah, Snowmageddon. Yeah. So just want to hand it up to all my friends in Boston and me. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it could have been, been ugly. You, if you had been there today, you probably wouldn't be leaving for a while. <laughs> That's so true. So I true. am. I am there. I'm in Long Island. Oh, you are. That's right. I mean, I could get cut off. Oh. <laughs> and it's a blizzard outside. That's crazy. I'm sorry, Cheryl. You know, uh, wow. That's uh, yeah. I read about that. Not to derail this too much, but what I read was this is of historic proportions. This blizzard. Yeah. So craziness. All right. Well, let's let's do the show so that we don't lose you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want your your uh, internet line to freeze and break over there. All right. Uh, let's uh, before we jump into the show, I want to thank our exclusive. Sponsor for this week in photo this week, and that's our good friends over at FreshBooks.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy cloud solution helping millions of small business owners save time invoicing and get paid faster. You know, as photographers, we capture moments, feelings, vistas, all that cool stuff, even perspectives, but what we don't thing to capture sometimes is the income picture of our businesses. You know, income, your expenses, your billable time, all that stuff. And I think one of the reasons why we don't do that is because capturing all those things is boring. That's a simple fact. It's just boring doing that. We'd rather be out taking pictures. Now, thankfully, FreshBooks offers small business owners and freelancers a way to keep track of their time and money without breaking your workflow or lifestyle. You can invoice your clients. You can do it in mere minutes. Expenses can be automatically imported so you don't have to lift a finger. You can track billable time. Basically, they take the hassle out of running your photography business by joining millions of freelancers and entrepreneurs using FreshBooks to run their businesses. So really cool stuff. And this week in photo and basically anything I do personally business-wise is run using FreshBooks. And I've been doing it for several years now and I can't tell you how much time it has saved me in terms of headache and following up with clients and billing and getting paid, all that stuff. You know, their tagline is it, it, it says, you know, let me read it here. It says it helps you save time invoicing and get paid faster. And that's exactly what it did for, did for me. I had a stack of things that I had to do, you know, people to reach out to, to, you know, bug about getting paid or all these different things. And once I imported everything into FreshBooks, it basically said, okay, Frederick, yeah, we got this. And they took it over and I get paid, you know, and it just works. I don't think I would be able to run my business as efficiently as I do without FreshBooks. So definitely check them out. And FreshBooks, our sponsor for this episode, is free to try for This Week in Photo listeners. All you got to do is go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free trial. So get out there, capture some beautiful moments and your business finances. Just go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. 
And here's a quick look at what's happening this week on the TWIP Network. Over on Street Focus, Valerie interviews Martin Waltz for another Streets of the World episode. This time, they're focusing on Berlin. And over on Your Itinerary, Rob interviews pro-travel photographer Robert Holmes. This week on The Fix, Jan interviews Dave Cross about breaking bad habits in Photoshop. And on this week's TWIP webinar, Julio Shorio presents an introduction to 4K for photographers. And finally, on TWIP Weddings, the guys sit down with Mr. Jason Group, the force behind the Wedding and Portrait Photographers International Conference, also known as... WPPI. All that and more is happening this week on the TWIP Network. You can subscribe to any or all of our shows over at thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe. All right, guys. The first story that we're going to dive into is, I mean, it just happened today. This is breaking news. We finally get to cover some breaking news on This Week in Photo. Uh, and this is timely because it's about DJI. I was just in Washington this last week doing some stuff there and the uh, you know I got a chance to go and check out the you know take some pictures outside the White House and all that and I saw the lawn today a quadcopter crash lands on the lawn of the White House so I wanted to put this at the top of the twip stack here to talk about today specifically because we've talked about quadcopters and you know, the FAA legislation and the legalities and they're pushing back and, you know, all this stuff. And what I've said on the show previously is I haven't purchased one yet, but I am definitely going to purchase one. Probably within the next couple of weeks or so I'll get one. Um, but the, you know, the thing that I worry about is it's kind of like the, you guys remember the shoe bomber? The, the, the mm. idiot that tried to bring the bomb on the plane, and now everyone has to take the shoes off when we go through airport security in most airports. I worried that we were going to have a shoe bomber incident. Like, and I'm not saying today today's incident was, but I worry that something like this, maybe even, maybe even more nefarious than today's sort of innocuous crash landing of a, of a consumer drone on the, the lawn of the White House, but I'm worried that something like this is going to happen that's going to say, okay, you know, we don't care what, in the name of national security and homeland security, all of these kinds of devices are now hereby illegal. If you got one, throw it in the street, put some lighter fluid on it, and burn it, you know? I'm worried that, that obviously I'm exaggerating, but that's that's the kind of you know knee-jerk reaction I worry about. Still, I want to throw it to you. You saw the story, you know, guy guy was just playing around with his drone. First of all, he was wrong because all of the airspace in Washington D.C. is all, it's a no-fly zone, period. Let alone near the White House, you know. So this guy was a victim of reverse Darwinism, you know, to, be, <laughs> to crash his drone on the White House lawn. I mean, first of all, there was his first mistake. But secondly, when you see this, I mean, what does this mean? I mean, does this is this just a black mark, or is it just, yeah, whatever, we'll move on? No, I, you know, it's fascinating. So on the way over um, to studio tonight, uh, NPR was reporting that it's a government employee. They didn't say former government employee, although maybe that's going to be the case. He is now, in, right? Any minute, right? Um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, and, and of course the conspiracist in me said, oh, government employee, I wonder what he really is. 
Um, <laughs> right. no, there's so many fun ways to go against it. Um, I'm going to take in a little different spin. The, earlier this week, I came upon an article in Smithsonian Magazine, not too far from the White House, just half a mile away or so. And they were talking about how in the early days of Kodak, the original Brownie camera and the original Kodak camera way back when, there were serious issues in society about the fact that somebody could walk up to you on the street and take your picture. And I read this article that was comparing you know, what was going on 120 years ago or 100 years ago to the whole idea of what's going on today with the drones. Mm -hmm. My guess is that, yeah, there's going to be some hiccups and people are not going to be really happy about it, but um, I don't think they're going to ground all the drones in yeah. the U.S., you know, so it's it's just something the society and the, it, it's redefining privacy, of course, and that's really, for me, the big issue. Do you have the right to fly your brand new drone over my fence and take a look at what I'm barbecuing tonight? I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Joseph Joseph Lenaski, I know you got to run in a couple of minutes here, so thanks for joining the the show to give your thoughts on this, um, which I think is going to be extremely valuable. But when you see the story. Knee-jerk reaction, just, you know, I know there's, it's going to be sort of split down the middle. There's going to be one side that says, yeah, whatever, it's a toy, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then the other side is going to be, the sky is falling, what if they had strapped explosive to that drone and flown it into the White House, all this stuff, you know. Right. What, where do you fall on this? Well, I mean, the, the risk of putting explosives on it is certainly real because those things can carry a, a reasonable size payload. They're designed to carry cameras, so nothing saying you can't replace the camera with something more nefarious. Um, the from you know we don't know why it crashed, but the assumption is that it was just RF jamming that the whole area around the White House has got RF jamming in it, so it's it can only get so far before it's going to fall out of the sky. But if that's the case, how long is it going to take for someone to develop a drone that? Is, is resistant to that, um, you know, operates on some other frequency that they're not jamming. So that could be the case. It's, it's certainly not good news, and this guy didn't do anybody any favors who likes flying drones by doing this, and, and he did it at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, you don't get much dumber than that. Flying it near the White House at 3 o'clock in the morning, of course you're going to create an incident. It's just, it's just brain dead. Um, but is it going to change, or you know, are we going to suddenly get new laws? Well, obviously it takes forever to get any law in place anyway, so I don't think we have to worry about that. But it is going to certainly shine a light on it. Uh, people are going to be paying more closer attention to this, and this is going to be in the news for a while, and any little drone incident that happens is going to make headlines for the next couple weeks at least, just because, just like at the White House, here we have someone flying a drone in, and God forbid anything actually bad happens, someone gets hurt in the next few weeks, or someone does something really dumb with the drone, and then it's really going to blow up. Yeah. But... At this point, it's just someone being incredibly stupid, doing something really, really dumb. But it does show that there is risks. You know, fortunately, I guess we should say that at least the, the first incidence of a drone breaking White House's airspace was just a model and just some guy being stupid. It wasn't someone trying to hurt anybody. Um, but, you know, anybody watching goes, oh, well, if you can get that close, how much closer can we get? Right. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, what was the last month or so, we had a guy that climbed the fence of the White House and ran into the White House and made it all the way to the East Room of the White House <laughs> without, without being stopped. That's when they finally got him. So, I mean, if a guy can climb the fence and run all the way in there, I mean, you know, something as sophisticated as a drone. And this was, this was a DJI with the Phantom, right? So this was a relatively consumer-level drone. I've seen some drones that are, you know, much, let's say, much, much more robust than this one. Sure. So, you know, it's scary. I mean, it's scary. Um, 
But what you said, Joseph, you said, you know, there was this this particular guy was dumb. Obviously, he was, and he did all this stuff. But on the same token, there are one or two dumb people in the United States. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, we have in any other country. It's called being human. You know, we have a we have our fair share of people that kind of do stuff that is not smart, you know, and flying a drone and landing it or crash landing it or even flying it in the airspace of the White House could be considered dumb. Less than clever. <laughs> not not clever. Not you know, Cheryl, I want to throw it to you. I know we threw these stories into the into the notes at the last minute. But I want to. I want to. I mean, you get the gist of the what's going on. When you, I want to get your thoughts on it from, you know, just sort of looking at this and seeing that these the drone or UAV to be politically correct, you know, unmanned aerial vehicle movement is moving fast. It's almost moving as fast as kind of when, you know, computers became mainstream and we got faster and faster and faster and thinner and smaller and lighter and cheaper boom 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 we're kind of in that era again with these unmanned aerial vehicles that people can strap things onto like cameras what do you think when you when you saw this you know the story of this this person you know this Einstein landing this drone <laughs> crash landing onto the White House lawn I mean from your standpoint does this is this a technology that needs to be governed or well, you know, or is it a you know what this is like the horse and buggy you know it's just the progress of where things are going to go and there's no way you can corral it and put it in a can I, I don't think you can corral it I mean we can't corral guns we're not gonna corral drones but I mean I think it uh, raises level of security I mean when I saw that article this morning I thought, I mean, anything can get into the White House. I mean, you know, they're going to, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. You think about terrorism, it, it's, I mean, I it's feel like scary. House, it's scary. I feel like my house it's is more scary. secure because no one can run off the street and come into my East Room without me, without me knowing yeah, I mean, it makes, how did they get into my president's house, into his recreation room? I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess they're going to have to put some magic, air guard thing up or I, I don't well, even know what they're called like, like maybe have a bunch of snipers on the roof they already well, have like it, some, and still uh, got it. <laughs> like um they have it in israel so I, I don't know what it's called like a, a gate that goes up and yeah. covers the airspace i mean yeah. I, I think they're gonna have to do that yeah well they're gonna have to do something because you know you look at i mean i look at companies like even these silicon valley companies have have really good security like if you don't have your badge you're not getting in anywhere you know or or all kinds of bad things happened at certain happen at certain companies if you move into an area that you're not supposed to be in and your badge is not given the okay things happen yeah. you know yeah. You know, I think we should we should be in that sort of level of technological security in place key places key targets like, like the, the White, White House. House. And, yeah. yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's crazy, and I worry about you know the on the drone side of it is it's just open air. You know, Julio, when you when you saw this, I mean you're working with drones, you own a drone. What is what does it say to you as a drone owner? Are you worried that your rights are you know they're going to be stripped away? Is going to be prohibition for drone uh, usage? No, and I know I've been I've been I threw myself full time like I'm talking 24 hours into the world of UAVs for like three or four months now, and um, 
every, every, you know, I think what's happening is when we see these these stupid news stories, we're missing the point. First of all, a guy is flying a drone in the sleet and the rain at 3 a.m., so he's not right in a noodle. Second of all, how can this get into the the White House? So that says something about the White House. This, is, this says something more about this person being ignorant, flying a drone at 3 in the morning, and then the, more about the lack of security at the White House yet again than the fact of a, a drone being designed for, for spying. Or, or I should say UAV, because clearly, if you see one of these, they, they make flying overhead. They make a lot of noise. You don't even have to see them; you hear them. They have LEDs blinking on them everywhere. You know that there's something flying above. Right. But to to talk to like what what Sil was talking about as far as um, invasion of privacy, because I'm really big on that too. But you know what's more invasive on privacy are these, and when yeah, we all hear these phones. in our pockets, we don't even think about it for a second. We don't know if the microphone's really on. You don't know if the camera's truly on. You don't know, because yeah. so to talk about like what what can be what's going to spy on you more, a th thing that's flying overhead, making noise, flashing lights, or one of these that's in your pocket and silent. I'm going to say one of these. But I'm not to be honest with you. I'm not worried about self. I mean, yeah, I'm worried about cell phone spying, and you know, I've got one right here. And if somebody wanted to hear what I'm saying, they could hack it and turn it on and all that. What I'm more concerned about, especially in the context of this story, is you know that same that same drone UAV that you have there someone nefarious gets that clips the wires to the LEDs now it's flying stealthy now they can put something on it you know that it shouldn't be on it and fly it to places that it shouldn't be flown to that well, that is the i think that's the danger that people are thinking of yeah, that's definitely, I mean, there's, anytime there's something new that comes on the market, there's going to be people, people that use it for good and people that use it for bad. Right, You know, just exactly. look at, like, even photography with a camera, for, for that matter. But there are, there are tools that I know, like, 3D Robotics is doing, um, they're working on a program with NASA to set up what's called geofences. So, essentially, in the future, the White House can have a geofence. It's, it's just a, a um, it's not a real fence. This is radio waves, basically, that goes around the entire White House mm, within a certain cool. amount of distance, and then drones come by, they just get a signal to fly right back to, to base. Right, that's what and, I was talking about. That, yeah, and in fact, the, um, the Iris Plus that I'm using has a geofence built in. You can't go over 400 feet. If I go over 400 feet, the thing just returns back to home. So, even if I, you know, yeah, you could, you for you could use these for bad, but you know, I mean, I think more people are probably killed with hammers in this country than they are with, with, with UAVs. I just saw a guy the other day that got killed. With well, there you go. No, I, I think I think it's a good topic of conversation. But I think a lot of it has to do with the education. I mean, again, the guy is flying a consumer drone. It's white. It's got red stickers on there, blinking lights at 3 in the morning, in the rain, and in the sleet when this giant snowstorm is coming in. So the guy himself is not, he's not thinking straight, you yeah. know? Yeah. He's not thinking straight. Yeah. Clearly, what was he doing? I mean, I could see if this happened in Colorado, but this happened here. Right. <laughs> in D.C. Joseph, Joseph, I want to ask you, so, you know, for, for, we're moving clearly into a new era here, right? This, this unmanned aerial vehicle era, I mean, we're not, FAA is not ready for it. We don't know, what's, right. they don't know what to do with it. Things are moving, the technology is moving faster than they can legislate and kind of figure out what to legislate. So they're, sure. they're going to legislate against, uh, uh, on technology that's happening yesterday and today. By the time they get around to it, we're going to have all kinds of cool toys, you know, that don't fit into their legislation box. 
So what do we do? Like in, in, in instances like the Secret Service, for example, who's come under scrutiny over the past couple of months or so for various levels of being non-secure, let's say, and letting certain things happen. They've, they've had a management turnover and all that, and now this thing. Is it time for those kind of organizations to kind of jump in and say, okay, let's retool the whole thing, and let's just think about, you know, it's not the Kennedy administration anymore. This is now Obama and whoever is coming next after Obama, which is a high-tech administration. Let's figure that out. What, what do you think? What should they do? Organizations like the Secret Service, what should they do next to kind of stay on top of things? Well, I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? There's always going to be some new way to inflict pain, attack, do horrible things. And you can't possibly prevent everything. That's, you know, you, you do that, you're into a police state, and nobody's allowed to leave the house after dark, and it just gets too much. And that's not the country that we live in. You can't possibly lock everything down. You can create, you, know, you can educate, you can create laws that, that are reasonable, that allow people to do the things they want to do. But um, other than that, you know, there's just not much that you can do for it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I was thinking about, the laws that are well that aren't really in place yet, but what could be coming next? And think of it like a um, an RV car, right? You get these little remote control cars you can drive around, um, and you can take those anywhere you want. You can take them out in the backyard, take them you know down your driveway, whatever. But you can't drive them on a public road. You can't drive them down the highway. Yeah. Um, now I don't know that anybody get ticketed for it because the thing's just going to get crushed by a car and that'll be the end of it. But it, you know it could cause a real problem. And I'm, if there's not laws against it, clearly the police wouldn't be too happy about it. They'd be stopping you from doing that. Well, the FAA controls our airspace, and you can't just have these little drones flying around where real aircraft are flying. Yeah. Uh, and I, Julia was saying that the one that he's got won't go over 400 feet, so there's limits like that already be, being built into them. But that's all you can really legislate is restrictions on where you can fly them and then prosecute those who don't follow those laws like anything else. Build the laws, prosecute those who don't follow them, and that's, that's kind of all you can do without turning it into a police state. So, you know, there, as far as what the Secret Service can do is uh, other than putting up better technology like these RF fences or, um, you know, counteracting drones, drones that take off and shoot down other drones and you know, things like that, which, hey, you know, why not? They could do that, too. <laughs> that would be that, cool. that kind of sounds fun, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> drone wars. There you go. A lot of it is just simple legislation and, and education. There's not much else yeah. you can do about it. Well, Joseph, I know you got to take off. You have things to do tonight. Thank you for for coming on. I'll let you bow out of the Hangout, but thanks for coming on. I appreciate your thoughts. Absolutely. I look forward to listening to the rest of the show on Friday. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, take care. Right on. Take care. Still, Arena, Joseph brought up a good topic or a good point about, you know, the, you know, what countermeasures if any can be done to kind of safeguard against this. Is that is that where we're going where, you know, we've got these it's kind of like when cars got fast. Right, and the cops had to come up with radar guns and then laser or whatever to sort of keep up with the cars so that they could adequately police the lawbreakers that were going too fast and all that because before they couldn't. The one Mississippi, two Mississippi thing wasn't working anymore. So now, now we have drones out there, and it's going to fall on local law enforcement, whatever the laws come out as, to, to enforce this. Is this an enforceable law? Is this is this or not enforceable law? Is this an area that can be enforced, or is it just too widespread? You know, I have no idea. I mean, it certainly depends upon the local jurisdiction. Um, yeah. 
you know, living here in San Luis Obispo. I see drones flying all the time. I was watching some when I flew in from Boston the other day. We have the world's smallest carousel and the world's slowest luggage handlers. And so there's this drone footage of Hearst Castle that is incredible. And, you know, it's a big little tourist piece, and they take the drone off, and they fly it, like, through the palm trees right across the pool and around the tower. And I was like, that's really, really an incredible use of, you know, this flying technology and the new microsensor cameras and all of that. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on enforcing anything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it. We live in a world that's full of risks, right? Right. And I think Joseph really hit it in the head. Uh, you know, there are certain risks in just being free and saying these are the things that might happen. We're not going to be able to protect against everything. Um, but I don't think that, you know, sitting around worrying about, oh, my God, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I was just pulling up the story online related to the one we're talking about at the White House about how the Tijuana police found – a drone that had crashed in the parking lot by the border the other day um, near San Ysidro with a bunch of meth on it. Um, you know, suffice it to say that this guy in D.C., in my opinion, yeah, three in, I mean, let's put it together, three in the morning, why is he flying a drone anyway? Mm -hmm. And if the weather was inclement, why is he really flying a drone? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so people who want to do harm, they're going to find ways to do harm regardless of whatever technology uh, regardless of whatever iron fence, you know, figuratively that we put up around anything. Um, if the intent's there and the resources are there behind it, people are going to figure out a way to do it. And I don't take a lot of time worrying about it. You've got to go on and live life and, and get the things done that we're meant to get done. I think you hit the nail on the head, so I mean, if, if, if people like like Julia was saying about the the hammer murderer, you know, so you know, if people want to find a way to do bad things with a thing, mm -hmm. regardless of what that thing is, they can do it. You know, like the old right. thing was, you know, guns don't kill people, kill people, people kill people. You know, drones don't do evil things, people do evil things, and drones just enable that. So you can't really legislate around that. And guys, I reached out to. Um, to DJI before we started recording to see if I could get someone from DJI on or get a statement and they gave me their official response. I'm going to read it to you now. They said, uh, DJI provides pilots tools to help them fly safely, uh, particularly restricting flight near airports and providing the ability to cap height and distance limits in accordance with local laws. DJI unequivocally condemns the illegal and unsafe use of unmanned aerial systems. We are working with law enforcement and regulators to ensure our products integrate safely and responsibly into national airspace. And that was from a DJI representative. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that sounds good, but I... Yay. Really? Thank you. <laughs> I read that really good. Who was that cheering for me back there? <laughs> So, uh, unmanned systems. I don't know. So, Cheryl, you you hear that? I mean, that sounds that sounds like it was. You know, I mean, I believe it, and I believe that that's probably woven into their mission state, statement in company DNA. You think it's gonna quote fly? I mean, you think you know it's it's enforceable, or is the cat out of the bag and things are just kind of gonna go where it's gonna go? Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. I, you know, we'll see what happens. There, yeah. 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 Julio, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, well, I think the companies are, I mean, I know the companies, the major companies are working with the government to come up together with 
laws and regulations to make flying UAVs more safe and more enjoyable. You know, and I think I think it's going to get better. I think I think we're what we're we're overlooking a few things, though. So we're th we're talking about like okay, Mexico. This, this somebody flew a drone over and uh, with meth and it crashed, but mm -hmm. we're, it was only in the news because it was a drone. I mean, if it, meth gets through, goes through the border significantly more with other means, it just happened to be a drone this time. Right. And the other thing I think we're kind of, but you know, that's just like the mass media news. It is like you know, they're not really reporting. They're just like reading cards, and they look like. Ken dolls and stuff, but you know I, the other thing that that um, we're missing is that all the good that you can get out of the, this type of technology. I mean, yeah. these are smart, intelligent um, uh, flying vehicles. It's not just like a remote control helicopter, which have been around for years, and RC planes have been around for years. And it's not like there's been all this death and destruction with RC plane. I mean, how, gosh, how did we survive all this time? But like, I have a thing on my on my Nexus Seven. It's called Droid Planner. And he uses Google Maps, and I just draw on the maps where I want my iris to fly. And I, I hit send; it sends a signal to it, and it does it goes up and it flies and it does its thing. That's cool. But what's what the like the fire department here in Austin and the police department they're using drones to do things like, um, especially for the fire department, if it's like a warehouse fire, they can send drones around the building real quick to see what's going on. Ooh. If drones are with smaller drones. You know, a few years ago, there's a bunch of firemen in northern Arizona that died in a forest fire. You know, there's technology now that have drones that are small enough where they can carry it in a backpack, send it up, and find a way out and, you know, and save lives. Farmers are using drones to uh, look at their crops much easier from, a, from a, you know, high above. And there's vineyards in Texas that, that use this technology. So, and, I mean, for me, I'm just getting rad shots. I'm having a hell of a good time with it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I, I think we're kind of – we got to – I think it's in our nature to kind of look at the negative, but I think we also need to look at the, the cool stuff that we can do with the, with this technology. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for for shining a light on that side of it. Yeah, because you're right. We tech we we typically do look at the negative before we look at the positive. And you know, like I said at the beginning of this piece, I am I'm a customer. I'm gonna buy one as soon as I can get enough pennies in my my piggy bank. I'm gonna empty it and go get me one of these things. And I don't know which one I'm getting yet, but I'm gonna get one because uh, I think you know it's kind of in a lot of ways these things represent the not the future of everything that we're gonna do, but they re represent a future of a direction and it represent another way that we as image makers will be able to capture imagery you know now we don't need a tall tripod we can or to rent a helicopter we can do shots with these things and they are relatively inexpensive considering and so, now the selfie is becoming what's called the droney oh so, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty trippy so you, what you do is you set up the drone to, to get a steady shot of you maybe like six seven feet up in the air right looks like a tripod you yeah. hit, use the 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 software you hit send and all of a sudden a droid flies away and it goes out four or five hundred feet. Maybe you're like on a cliff and it goes over and you see like the water and it comes back. It's really like I'm having a hoot. I even like I even went out and I got uh, some googly eyes and I'm gonna glue them to the front of my to the front of my drone because I think uh, yeah, see yeah, you you know me, dude. I'm always about the wacky stuff. You you take it too far, Julio. You just take it too far, man. But I, I don't know if I've seen about maybe one eye because I thought it kind of be fun as a cyclops. But there you, know. you go, there you go. Well, I mean, the point, you know, there's there, these things come in all shapes and sizes. I've seen you know these UAVs or drones 
like tiny minuscule ones and I've seen ones that are larger than cars. Like I think it was at Photo Plus Expo last year there was this car size, I think it's bigger than a Prius um, UAV that was, you know, commercial purposes obviously, but it was didn't have any place for a pilot to sit in it. You know? wow. And it was amazing. You know, these things are so you I mean you think about it, the laws of of you know of of flight don't necessarily end when you get larger. So you get these smaller UAVs, you can scale them up to giant aircraft, you know, size, and they work just the same, right? Air is air, and aerodynamics are aer aerodynamics. So. And even at CES, somebody showed at the Intel keynote as a watch that was actually a, a little UAV. And so the watch, you take it off, and, it, and they did it on stage and it worked and blew my mind. It was a husband-wife team that, that developed this, because they wanted to be able to get really cool dynamic shots of them and their and their kids, yeah. and he he unstrapped it. The little legs came out and made a an X shape. He threw it like a boomerang. It, it stabilized, went out about 20, 20 feet, took a photo, and it came right back and he caught it in his hand. <laughs> like is... what? It was like 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 so fleek, man. It's That's crazy. where things are going. All right, guys. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on from this story. Story number two, and we're only going to have time for two stories today. This stuff is so so good. Story number two is about Sports Illustrated, um, which you guys may have heard of. So this comes in from our buddies over at Petapixel. Sports Illustrated has laid off the last of its staff photographers. All six remaining photographers at the magazine were laid off yesterday due to, to economic circumstances and company restructuring. Brad Smith, the magazine's director of photography, tells News Photographer magazine that SI is still committed to photography but may be exploring new processes by which it obtains these photos or those photos. The plan is to reevaluate what's best for the magazine, not just financially but also content-wise. Sil Arena, you see this. I know you probably have some some sharp opinions about this, <laughs> as do I. Uh, what do you think? Sports Illustrated, are they, you know, they're going to hand out pencils and let people actually illustrate the magazine now? <laughs> yeah, you know, this, this, is, this is not a surprise to anybody who's close um, to SI. And I've had the good fortune, um, one, two, I don't know, last two, three, four years to a couple times a year team up with uh, SI photographer Peter Reed Miller. Peter's a great shooter. He's got 100 plus SI covers, and a couple times a year he does a workshop. And, there's his book uh, right there. There yeah. we go. There we go. Yeah, Peter great Reed. book by Peach Pit Press. And so I've taught with Peter the last two or three years at his um, sports photography workshops that he does in Denver, Atlanta, and met Steve Fine, the former picture editor at SI. And what we what we hear, you know, is just a fraction of what there is to hear. And yesterday's announcement that the last six staff photographers were laid off. Um, it's just kind of like the, you know, in my opinion, it's kind of like a gentle landing of a plane that's been on final approach for years and years and years. Uh, they are switching. I mean, what publishing house isn't switching its business model? And that includes, even for a publication like Sports Illustrated, that's including how they're going to source images and how they're going to remain financially viable. Um, you know, and if you go far enough back into the history of SI having staff photographers, um, their standard practice for years and years and years was they didn't have staff photographers. They were all independent contractors. And then, I don't know if it was the Federal Labor Relations Board or whoever said, no, these guys are really employees. 
you need to make them staff photographers. So there's kind of you know two sides of it. Um, the fact that these guys are not getting salaries does not mean that they're not going to continue to get the credentials and go out and shoot. Um, but like all of us, it does mean that they're, as individual shooters, going to have to be more uh, entrepreneurial in how they uh, run their own photo practices. They aren't going to have the, I, I almost said huge expense accounts. Um, that's an ancient term as well. I mean, these guys have been running as lean and mean as they can. Uh, but they'll still be out there shooting, and they'll still be out there be hustling for that great shot like they've always been. And SI is also going to reach out to a whole bunch of amateurs and say, if you got great shots, send them our way. I mean, it certainly does not mean that sports is going to have less lenses pointed at, at the spectacle of any event. It just means that what gets chosen and, frankly, what the photographer gets paid is going to be changing. Yeah. Cheryl, Cheryl. What do, you, what do you think about this? I mean, we, we've had stories on This Week in Photo, um, particularly we uh, a couple of months ago we talked about the, what was it, the Chicago Sun-Times, I believe it was, laying off their entire photography staff. Um, now we've got Sports Illustrated. There have been other stories about this happening across, across the nation. And I think I asked Alex Lindsay or somebody when they were on um, about the state of the photojournalist, and I think the response was, it is a dead career. I mean, it is a... It is a career field that is untenable in today's economy. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it mirrors the music business a lot. I used to work in the music business before as a photographer, and it's the same kind of thing. It's just um, you know the 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 career as a photographer is is. I mean, I teach photography to kids who want to be photographers. I mean, and as a parent, I I don't. I don't know. I mean, yeah. there's. Um, I'll give you an example. I teach photography. I somebody called me and said, uh, "Do you have a student that we need to? We're doing some ad for some restaurant, twenty dollars, and we want the CD, <laughs> and they'll get a credit." And I thought <laughs> that's really. <laughs> where this business, well, that's where our business is. I, they think that a photograph's worth twenty dollars, but it mirrors the music business too, because you know, you have like Taylor Swift took uh, the stuff off of Spotify because she didn't want her music out there. But it's right. the same. It's the same. To me, it's the same thing. Like a, a photograph is worth more than twenty dollars if you're running a whole campaign. So I, I feel bad for these sports illustrated photographers because. They're probably going to be undermined by there's a you know there's so many people who think they're photographers because they have a camera yeah and and they're probably gonna not get as many jobs I mean yeah, that's just the way it is my, my friend um, I've got a good friend of mine Renee Robin she's been on this week in photo before she and I she was in the Bay Area a couple weeks ago and we were having this conversation about photographers. I think it was around that time when that photo sold for a million dollars or something. Uh, yeah. I never um, even heard of the guy. Yeah, so we were we were talking <laughs> about that and she made the statement that um, something around actually we were talking about an article that had said that photography is not art. So, and most but she went on to qualify that most photographers are not artists because the machine does everything for us these days. You don't have to go through the pain of the artist and learning light and shadow and painting delicately for 10 years to figure out how to make a drop shadow and all this stuff. You you can act, you can get something that looks reasonably artistic and technically competent 
by just putting your camera on auto or selecting a scene mode and hitting the button. So as you were saying that this that photography in general, most people that shoot photography photography these days are not artists, although there are some artists in there. And I want to put it to you. I want to ask all you guys that put it out there. But what what do you guys think, Cheryl? What do you think? I mean, is well, I mean, that, are there artists? Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, I call myself a photo artist. Um, Second of all, that's who I mentor. There's there's a lot of photographers who get to the point they're they they're taking travel pictures, macro pictures, night pictures, this and that. They're like all over the place, and they they are good because the cameras are good, and and if you know if you're somewhat mechanical, you take good pictures. So yeah. the whole being a photographer is about communicating a vision. So to me. The photographers I like, at least, are are artists. They're they're yeah. they're communicating. I wonder, I wonder. I mean, he's getting into semantics, but I wonder about the word photography in general, right? So the word photography means to record light. That's all it means. Light, it means yeah. to record light. Other other genres don't get that descriptive, right? So we are artists, but we are artists that describe ourselves by the act of recording light, like painters. Are a you know they're they're an artist they're an artist as well and they say I you know they don't I don't know it just, it seems like it's a nuance that we describe ourselves by the technicality of what we're doing rather than the art like I'd rather if I'm an artist I'd rather say you know somebody says well, hey Frederick what do you do well you know I'm an artist and I use cameras to to kind of realize my vision you know whereas you're a painter you're a you're an artist, you use paint to realize your vision. You're a sculptor, you use clay or, or stone to realize your vision. Why do we say that we are photographers and, you know, and leave it at that? I, I record stuff with light. It's what I do. You know? <laughs> Why yeah, do we well, do I don't know. I call myself a photo artist. So, I mean, I, I think we're both saying the same things. Yeah. Some people yeah. call themselves visual artists. And now photographers do videography. Um, you know, I, actually, I, I teach a lot of people how to take their photographs and make them into art. How to take mm -hmm. that, how to combine photography, uh, post-processing, and putting that hand back into it. So yeah. it, it matters on the intent. Then there's people who, you know, they just, they're great with their cameras. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And so, so I want to get to you on this, but Julio, first, I want to ask you, so back to the original story about Sports Illustrated laying off their photographers. When I, when I saw this story, I thought about you, and I thought, you know, this, what they're probably doing here, and I have no inside information on what Sports Illustrated is thinking, but I was thinking that, okay, you know, you look at, you know, uh, you know these, these sporting events, you watch them on TV, presumably many of them are shot in 4K these days, or they're moving towards 4K. Julio is teaching about how to extract awesome 8 megapixel frames of video from 4K video. Why wouldn't I lay off my entire staff and just get the footage and go through all the footage and pull out the frames that I want for the magazine or strike some deal with you know, sports center or whatever, so I can go in and, and harvest their footage to get the shots from my magazine since video has gotten to the level where you can actually pull a usable still frame from it. Why not translate that into sports? Could that be what's going on, G? Oh, well, it's certainly going to be part of it. Now, I think I think what, what, what Syl and Cheryl, the points they're making was really on point. I mean, surely SI had known for years that their business model was declining, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to 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 what 
what Cheryl was saying, how the photo world always kind of follows the art, the, the music world. It's true. You know, it's like, you know, when, when, you know, there was records and then there were CDs and originally there was like prints and then there was uh, deliverables through CDs, photos as well. And then, you know, now we're all in an instant age. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, is the f professional photography as we know it today, the career is not what it was 20 years ago. And it certainly wasn't was what I, what I grew up with was looking through my grandfather's Time Life magazines and seeing that those amazing images from World War II and whatnot. And that's what I wanted to be when I wanted to grow up. I wanted to be like a, like Joe McNally and Michael Greco. Those are like some of my photo heroes, yeah. you know. And so I got into it in 2005, and I thought, okay, so I was at the very, very end of what I call the the, the print age, which was kind of like even though I was a film photographer for 20 years as a hobby, when I got into it in 2005 as a profession, it was it was still selling a still image designed for print media, but little by little that transformed now, and now it's like I, I still I, I get hired. All my commercial work for the last like three years has been really just shooting something that, that moves in some sort of video form for some screen media. Yeah. And um, it's strange. Like I was just talking to my wife last night. I'm like, when was the last time I got hired to do just a still shoot? And I haven't. But that's my career. That's not everyone else's career. That's not to say that, that still photography as a profession is dead. It's just simply um, transforming. Now, we're at 4K today. In two years, consumer cameras like a GH4 will have 6K, which will be 19 megapixels, and a couple of years after that, it'll be 8K. And I'm not, I'm not guessing that that's pretty much the, the timeline that we're on, because that's the technology that's in development. And we're talking 8K is 33 megapixels. So, is it going to kill the art? I don't think it's going to kill the art. I think it's going to inspire art because when the technology does a lot of the technical work. There are people that are, have a creative mind but may not have a technical mind and they can get involved in the art. And that's why we see now more than ever non-technical artists getting into photography. People that say, hey, this, I can see this. This is accessible to me and, and I have a creative idea but I don't, I don't know the, 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 the technical parts but I still want to be expressed and then they get involved in it. They may end up at some point becoming a weekend warrior and then maybe they decide to go full time but... You know, if you're if you're a staff photographer still today, and you get laid off, you you best be ready to hustle in different directions because you can't yeah. do just one thing anymore. You just that's can't right. do it. Yeah, and that and that's what I that's a perfect segue into Sil because Sil, I want to ask you, <laughs> you have children. You know, I've seen them photographed in your books. You know, three of them. Th you've you procreated at least three times, right? So, <laughs> so you've got three kids, and you are an educator. You know, you're a teacher, so you're you're one of the people that's charged with molding our young minds of future Americans who are going to go on and run the country and run corporations and all that. So overlaying that with your photography experience and expertise, your kids or your students, would you, in good conscience, advise them to take on a career in photography as their lifelong sort of ambition? Yeah, so that's you know th that's really more like 400 questions. Um, that's what I do, so Let on. me let me break it out into the big chunks. Okay. Um, so spending the last 18 months teaching uh, high schoolers here at Mission Prep, and I'm actually in the studio. Um, that big cheer you heard about 10 minutes ago, I hope was my son scoring a goal. <laughs> um, so I'm, but getting back to it. Um, I've learned that, you know, it's not so much, particularly with, with teenagers, 
it's not so much about teaching them something that they're going to use for the rest of their life. It's about exercising their brains in ways that have not been exercised before. So whether I'm teaching introduction to art and they're playing with acrylic paint for the very first time, or they're trying to draw their own optical illusions, or in my advanced photo class where my kids are out running around San Luis Obispo County with mirrors, I'm surprised none of them have been arrested, um, because they're making landscape photographs and self-portraits with mirrors in the shot. It's all about getting them to use a different part of their brain. Um, it's not about the technique, you know, what ISO, what aperture, blah, blah, blah. It's about getting them to think differently. So I have really mixed emotions. There's, there's, there's none of my kids, even my best shooters, well, maybe one who could, if you wanted to go study and become a great shooter, maybe one and a half. But um, because there's a couple of kids that got some amazing, amazing chops. But by and large, if they said, oh, I want to go to photo school, it's like, no, you got to go to film school. You've got to learn to be, you know, a one-man band that can produce video and audio and edit and, and, and. Yeah. Um, because to be, and what we're talking about here is being economically viable in the future, being self-sustaining, having a life skill that's going to um, be valuable to somebody else so they'll pay you for that. That's nothing about being an artist. I mean, that's a completely separate conversation and, you know, another another set of questions. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the college realm, um, so I just, you know, I mentioned the top of the show, I just came back from Boston. I spent 12 days there. I'm now officially back. In addition to being an educator, I'm now a full-time uh, MFA student as well. That's I'm doing, great. I'm doing the low residency program at, at Leslie University, which is um, an amazing and incredibly arduous <laughs> program. Um, I've given up sleep for the next two years. Uh, I'm just, I just realizing to keep it all going. But being in that, you know, back in art school, um, I, you know, I've even changed my semantics in the last week. I used to say I'm a photographer, um, and there are photographers who try to make art, and there are artists who use photography. Yes. Um, and I'm now consciously choosing to be the latter, to be an artist who uses photography. Um, and ultimately, of course, in, in today's world, arts, whatever you decide art is, it's not like there's a definition that can't be used to say anything is um, a work of art. So it's a matter of, you know, kind of economics. Are you going to have skills that are valuable to somebody where there's uh, a reason they'd want to hire you? And, you know, there's the whole other side of it of saying, oh, do you want to give, um, throw yourself into a project because that's who you are regardless of the economic outcome? Right. Love it. Very well. See, still, that's why you keep getting invited back to Twitter, because yeah. <laughs> you drop those those pearls of, of mm. little jelly bean knowledge for us every single time. I get the black licorice ones, please. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Um, let's move on. We're, we're just about out of time here, so I'm going to skip down to the picks of the week section. So you're on a roll already. I'm going to let you go and keep your momentum <laughs> moving forward. And give us your pick of the week. What's your All pick right, of the week? so so my pick of the week. I've got a new campaign. It's you know support your favorite former Sports Illustrated photographer. Um, so I'm going to give a big shout out to my buddy Peter Reed Miller. Yeah. Uh, Peter is teaching a workshop, I think in a month's time in Phoenix. Um, he's teamed up with Canon, and yep. so Sports Photography Uncovered is a Canon sponsored uh, workshop. 
So that link is there. I'll also put in the link to Peter's direct workshop page. If you're interested in being a sports shooter, um, if you do it for the love to get better photos of your kids or you want to try to get something published, doing a, a workshop with Peter Reed Miller is amazing because there's like $100,000 worth of gear that shows up. That's uh, crazy. You know, I, I just, it's like, I have never had the need to shoot a 600 millimeter lens, but it's sure fun to try when I've got access to them. So hey, tell tell Peter I'm looking for a, a host for our for the Twip Sports Photography Show. So uh, I'll make that phone call in about two minutes. <laughs> Let him know we need uh, we need some expertise out here. Okay, so. message delivered. Cool, awesome. Well, a good pick of the week, and uh, you. you know, and we might have another host. I love that. All right, Cheryl, what is your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week is this Adobe app called Adobe Voice, which I thought I discovered something new, but I, I, I read that it was like one of the best apps of last year. But I enrolled in this, I'm in a MOOC course for Adobe. For those who don't know what MOOC is, it's massive open online courses. So I'm in a class with 5,000 other educators. It's um, Adobe Professional Exchange, I think it's called. So they have K through 12 and, and college. So anyway, our first assignment, it's about teaching creativity in the classroom. It's, it's, it's actually pretty cool. It's, it's, it's sort of fun being in a classroom with 5,000 people. So anyway, we had to make an assignment with Adobe Voice, which is an app you record and show videos. And so I put that in the show notes, and I, I put my video. And I, I see have, that. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So well, you, I put so it because, you know, you record, teach by you example. You record the narration, and then you drop in the, the visuals on top of it? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's not perfect because since I'm in the music business, I would like to have the sound a little better, but yeah. it's a really great way to make a storyboard, really. I mean, I, for me, I, I saw all these great ideas. Like, I could take that and, and create, uh, I do online tutorials. So, you know, you can just really do the do the storyboards. It's a, it's a really fun software, and I, and I have to say, of, of all these students online, mine's like, maybe 15th most popular. I mean, cool. <laughs> I get all these emails. It's a lot of fun. Hey, you have an unfair advantage, so, you know, that's but, not... Because <laughs> you're a photographer. Come on. You know. No, they're all... Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of talented people in this class, but um, there's um, Coursera. They have... Um, really, it's... it's it's. I mean, we can talk about that another time, where education's going, too. Yeah, um, totally. That sounds like another a vein we're going to have to explore. That's cool. But your, your pick is... Adobe Voice. Adobe Voice. So you need you need a part of the cloud or where? It's not part of the cloud. It's free, but you have to have an iPhone or an iPad. Okay. All right. Which you know, I I would say a good percentage of the population might have that. So. Yeah, it's fun app. It's fun, and and actually in the class, um, a couple of us said, including myself, um. Before you couldn't save it to camera roll. Sure enough, three days later, now you can save those videos to camera roll. So, it's it's sort of cool. I'm, well, cool. I'm gonna try I'm it on, out too. Yeah, I'm on week three of this class. It's six weeks. Awesome. Cool. All right. Adobe Voice. Perfect. All right, Mr. Julio Shorio. I'm afraid to ask, but what is your pick of the week? Man, I, it's hard to say. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and pick two things. Um, First of all, aerial photography, because I've been into it, and I'm just having a ton of fun doing it. And I, I was really scared going in. I thought I was going to fly to singing. I was going to come back, and I was going to be missing some of these. That's kind of what um, I, that's where I am right now, I'm afraid. Dude, 
I was super, you know, I had, I had, I had my Iris Plus. I had this little guy here for a few weeks now, and I didn't fly it until last week because I, I was like, oh well, because you see all the stuff on the news. <laughs> I've been, so I was watching the videos on YouTube, the training videos, and mm-hmm. then when I turned it on, it went up, and it just kind of hovered there until I told it to go do something else. I was like, oh, this is really cool because when things are simple and effective, they're inspiring. You know, and, and when I flew out too far where I couldn't tell which direction it was, I hit one button on the controller and it flew back by itself and landed exactly where it took off. All the time shooting 4K video, I actually put a video on YouTube. So I'm like, oh, this is really cool. So I'm thinking I can... Those kind of controls, Julio, I, can you... Who makes that? Who this makes is that? Uh, 3D Robotics. Can you ask 3D Robotics to somehow get that level of, of control and, uh, you know responsiveness into our significant others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somewhere they got somebody working on but it's just it's a ton of fun and it's cool to know that it's an American company and there's like this this you know this all this great innovation happening still in the States and you know it is with other companies. But I'm just inspired by the things that I can do now with this. I'm used to shooting at this eye level or lower. Now it's like hundreds of feet. So it's really cool. But the other thing I've really, really been into, and you knew this, but it, I've been really into uh, uh, Twip Emerge. I've been shooting so much cool content for that, yeah. like around the clock. Seriously, that's my office is annihilated right now because it's like around the clock. And today I actually interviewed a guy that makes – I'm doing a whole series on, on sound because I think sound is so important for, for new photography that he actually makes robots that play their own drums because he couldn't find a drummer to be in his band, one that he liked. So he just built ro- robots that actually read, and they read music. They don't, it's not actually programming. He's not a programmer, but he built them to read sheet music, and they read sheet music, and they do their drumming together, and they perform with him and his wife, or they perform by themselves, and it just, like, blew my mind, you <laughs> see. And I really, I'm like, wow, that was super fun. So I'm, I'm super amped to get all this stuff going. I think that... Right now, for some people, it can be a scary time to get into the professional photography, but I think it's never been a better time to get into photography. It is, whether it's for fun or for profession, I, I, I have not enjoyed myself this much, and I've been doing it full-time for 10 years now. So I love it. Yeah, and you know what's weird about all this stuff, or for all you guys, is that the... Uh... You know, you look at all these innovations, the the UAVs and mirrorless and 4K and, you know, on and on and on. You know, we haven't even talked about lighting, still, speed lighter. It's okay. You know? <laughs> so, so all this stuff goes on and on and on. And I always feel like, and I've been feeling like this for the last, I don't know, decade or so, that we're at the the beginning of it. You know, it feels like we're still at the beginning and we're we're like decades into it, but we're still at the beginning of all this cool stuff because new things keep coming and they keep showing us what they can do. So it's exciting, exciting times. All right, uh, my pick of the week is a movie. So if you guys haven't seen this movie, you need to go watch it tonight or tomorrow when you get time. Um, it's called Nightcrawler with, yeah. God, I think his name is Jake Gyllenhaal. I yeah. Can't, yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so he's the Brokeback Mountain dude, right? So, so you need, you, I know he hates probably to be typecast like that, but this is it was an awesome movie, especially for photographers. So the premise of the movie is he's this this dude who is unusually smart, but he's also a criminal slash like you know small time hustler in Los Angeles. He comes upon 
this career field of kind of ambulance chaser photographer where you know you get paid for taking pictures of of the seedy underbelly of humanity and he's like oh that's kind of cool and he and it sort of follows him through that and you know I won't I won't spoil the movie but there are a lot of twists and turns in the movie and at some point in the movie you're like I, at least I personally was like, oh, man, did he just say that to that woman? I don't believe he just said that. Because you, like, you think this character is kind of, you know, slow, but he's slow and smart at the same time. You know the, the type, right? So he's slow and smart at the same time. And then you get to the point of his character development where you realize this guy is, like, orders of magnitude smarter than everybody else in the film. So, and he's a photographer, and you know, so it's a it's a good it's a good show for you to watch, you know. And it, I would see, I, I can understand that some photographers in Los Angeles or that are in this particular career field might take offense from it because it kind of typecast them as being a little bit sleazy and ambulance chaser ish. But it's fiction, and it's a good show, so I would definitely check it out. It's called Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler, and I think it's a. Uh, it's available for rental. I, I rented it in my hotel room in D.C. this past week, and that's where I saw it. Um, I would imagine if it's not yet available on iTunes or on Amazon Prime Instant Video, it will be soon. So definitely check that out. Have you guys seen this film yet? I, I, I know about the film. Um, oh, you guys see I it. I wanted to see it. My husband didn't want to go with me. So, oh, yeah. Um, it's because it's supposed to be creepy, right? Isn't it, like, really creepy? It's, it's like not creepy. creepy as in, you know, it's just, it's 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 creepy in terms of, you know, you live in L.A., you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, not to say Los Angeles is creepy, but it, it kind of takes place in a part of L.A. that a lot of people don't want to kind of hang out, you know, not even a physical location, just a mindset of yeah. L.A. that it's most people don't want to be in, you know, you're kind of cash-strapped and trying to figure out what to do next and how to do it, and you got to do things that you don't want to do in order to make rent and eat and all that stuff, and so it takes place in that sort of mindset, so if that is disturbing to you, you probably want to you know, go watch nah, something I, else. I, 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 that movie is one I want to see. I'm, I'm really into movies. It's the cool. best way to learn photography. To watch yeah, movies. you'll love this one. Mm -hmm. You are, I guarantee it. Cheryl, watch it and tell me what you think. You I'm going to watch it. I will watch it. All I got to right, find it. I got to find it. Yeah, you will. Let me know. All right, we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. I want to thank our exclusive sponsor for this episode of the show, and that was our friends over at FreshBooks.com. Sil Arena. Where would you like the TWIP army to go to uh, keep up with your goings-on? So the easiest place to go is to my blog, Pixelated. That's P as in Paul, I-X, S as in Sam, Y-L-A-T-E-D, pixelated.com. Pixelated.com. And for those that didn't catch that accurate, that alphabet soup, it will be <laughs> linked to from the This Week in Photo blog post for this episode. So, Lorena, thanks for coming on. Thank Appreciate you. It's it. always a pleasure. All right, and Cheryl, what about you? Where would you like the army to go to keep up with your actions? I guess, uh, well, I have such a long name, but it, uh, so if you sort of get it, Cheryl Michette Dorskin dot com, mm -hmm. um, and go to uh, my fame page, F A M E, and you can learn learn all about my mentoring. Excellent, excellent, and of course we'll link to you, so they don't necessarily okay. have to remember. How to spell your name? Yeah, we'll link directly over to that. Just go to the episode, the blog post for episode number 397, and there you will be. 
All right. Thanks, Cheryl, for coming on. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks. All right. And last but not least, Mr. Julio Shorio, where can people go to connect with you? I think uh, people need to keep their eyes on This Week in Photo because when I'm, we're launching a merge. People have been wanting it for a while. Just keep your eyes on the site. Keep harassing me online. It's coming, man. It's coming. we got almost two months' worth of stuff that's shot. It's just got to be edited and put online, but it is going to be awesome. And you shot all that stuff in 4K, too, right? Yeah, and some of that I shot in uncompressed ProRes with the Shogun, and it was like 60 gigs for 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way that this is going to go on the Dropbox. No way. <laughs> now when we have like two months of episodes to, fin to finish I know, so. and our, our poor editor, uh, one of our editors is in Scotland, you know, and doesn't have, like, the fastest internet connection in the world, so Julia, everybody else is dropping, you know, relatively small audio files, and he edits those to put them up. Julio comes in with terabytes of 4K footage <laughs> to send across the pond. We're going to break the internet, man. We're going to get it launched, but we're going to break the internet. But there seriously, go. it's going to be really cool because it's it's not just photography. It's about everything that affects the world of photography, yeah. and I think it's very exciting to talk. To. It's not and it's not just technology, but it's also the people involved in it. Yep, so it's going to kill. Really it's cool, going to crush. Me. Really cool wait. interviews. I'm just I'm super amped because I've been wanting to do it for a while, and now it's in motion. Now it's in motion. Yeah, the Twip machine is moving forward. So yeah, let's let's see what you got. I'm looking forward to it. Alright guys, well that's it for this episode of This Week in Photo. Um, remember, if you guys want to keep up with TWIP, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. If you want to subscribe to any of our shows, including Julio's show, TWIP Emerge, which will show up very shortly, just go over to thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe, and you'll see a big grid of everything that we have to offer. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. If you are a fan of any of our shows, including this one, be sure to leave us a comment um, or a like or a post or something on iTunes so that we know and we can sort of rise to the top of the ranks so more people can find, about, find out about the TWIP network. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.